I'm Amy, and you're listening to the Creativity Matters Podcast. Today on the Creativity Matters Podcast, visual or word-based thinking? Where do you fall? Here we go. You're listening to the CMP, a Creativity Matters Podcast. Stories of creative journey and a reminder that creativity matters in whatever form it takes for you. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Creativity Matters Podcast. I'm Amy, and this is episode 358, Yellow Brick Road. Yellow Brick Road. I sat down to record, and my title for this show was One Thing Leads to Another, but I didn't like it. Titles are often haphazard, which isn't good marketing, and it isn't good storytelling. It isn't good in any way, and yet the title... It's just this little thing that is sometimes hard to really put your finger on. And I don't like it when it holds up the rest of the process. But I sat down, I looked at my notes, I looked at that title that's been there for more than a week, and I just wrote in Yellow Brick Road, which in its own way, I think actually fits actually fits. This is a bird walking show. It is in many ways a show about bird walking. So you are forewarned. Forewarned. Hopefully most of you noticed little to no disruption with the website move. And here we are approaching the end of May, summer break. For those of you who still live by the school year system, summer months, anniversary marker, for the CMP is right around the corner, right around the corner, actually, as our birthdays. And one of those is a big one, graduation dates and summer art. Yes, summer art. It's all right here on the doorstep, summer art. And whether that means index cards for you or travel and vacation journaling or postcard making and sending painting outdoors, whatever it means for you, summer does have its own flow. It does have its own flow. Although sometimes the difference is just an arbitrary one. It's an arbitrary span of markers on a calendar. And that may really mean that it doesn't feel that different to you day to day. Or maybe it does. Especially depending on what projects you pick and choose, what you line up, what you like to do. Summer art can have its own flow. It might even just be that you make art in a slightly different time or a different place, or you do a project like ICAD, a challenge, or you use different materials, or you work outside, or your altered schedule, if you have kids at home, really, really switches up what you do and how you do it. So it can really be different. But depending on your life, where you are in your life, it may really just be a mark on the calendar. I totally get that. I know that the Index Card a Day Challenge is in sight for many of you. It is a marker of summer for me still. It is one of many month-by-month anchors that I now use in my creative practice. I am realizing that in the last few years, I have started to set up these footholds through a year, different projects that I switch on and off to as the months go by. And this one, the Index Card a Day Challenge, it is a challenge that I do enjoy. I enjoy the community. 
the challenge to find a way to do a series that I care about each year on index cards. That is always interesting for me. I have always approached this challenge a little differently than a lot of other people do. I'm okay with that. So I am still thinking, but I think I have a plan. So that is coming. And I think warmups for that challenge are also coming. They might be live actually by the time you hear this. So hopefully those of you involved or on the fence are lining up your ducks, gathering your supplies, making a list. I do encourage you to look back if you've done it before. I hope you're flexing your fingers, your creative fingers even for day one. Today, something different. Today, a bit of musing. Some middle-aged awakening, maybe. I don't know. How strange it seems, though, to realize over and over again that I am somehow just figuring certain things out. Just now setting up systems that make life smoother. Just now doing things, and I think, why didn't I always do it this way? Or why didn't I always set that kind of reminder? Because it will simplify so many things. If only, if only, if only I'd understood this 10, 20, 30 years ago. If only I had put these things in place. It's not simply a hindsight thing. It's not that. It really is more about systems. If only I had just put these simple systems in place, so many things would seem easier. Get so much of the clutter out of your way so you can focus on the things you care about. It's often really the goal of structures and scaffolding and organizational systems and planning. All of those things are partly a way of organizing your life, yes, but partly a way of organizing your life so that you can do the things you really enjoy without it always being a flurry or without it feeling guilty and without forgetting the things that you really need to do. On the CMP, I often talk about story. There is a reason that word is the word imprinted on the traveler's notebook that I bought years ago, the only one that I bought. There is a reason that is the word, I think. So much is about story for me. And I am not an innate storyteller. I'm not. But I often talk about story, about the construction of story, about the fact that all story is construct. Our personal stories, the stories we share, the three things we choose. It's all construct. It's all pick and choose. It's always an unreliable narrator. There's always a gray area between fact and fiction. I talk about story and I talk about drawing. I talk about drawing because that is what I do. At this point, that is what I do. And that has been a gradual process over the last 10 years. But at this point, that is what I do. And so that is mostly what I talk about. And I talk about realistic drawing, because I enjoy that. And about illustration, because you can't really take the comic or the graphic novel out of me. I work on projects that are all about creating a likeness, like portraits. And I work on projects that are all about simplified line, the line of cartoons or sketch notes, the immediately recognizable contours of an object. 
I talk about commonality and connection. And on the flip side, isolation, loneliness, and difference. I am one of the biggest advocates of the reality that we are all different in how we approach things. And yet, there are so many similarities and commonalities, so much common ground, if we look for it, and if we're able to walk on it together in ways that are supportive and nurturing and nourishing, inspiring and empowering. That is easier said than done. But I really believe that. That is one of those things I believe from the inside of me, even though my history has not proven, has not proven it. So over the last few weeks, I had the opportunity to watch a bunch of videos about Temple Grandin, her TED Talk, interviews with her, the awesome movie. I watched the TED Talk more than once, as well as a superb video from, I think it's the blank page, which has a swoon-worthy illustrated style that I just love. If you know about Temple Grandin, then you know she is on the autism spectrum, and you probably know that she is one of the most well-known speakers and writers about autism, as well as a professor of animal behavior. Her work has often involved engineering and architectural style design, and she has said that she was always interested in art. And in all of her talks, she winds her way around to the fact that she thinks in pictures, that her thought processes are like a search engine of images, that she doesn't think in words, and that she didn't realize, until she did, that not everyone else thought that way. She just assumed everyone thought that way. And I have thought so much about this, so much about this. I've thought about the ways in which some of us struggle to draw from our imaginations or to draw from our heads. We need the object in front of us. That's me. We need the object in front of us to feel comfortable and confident to draw something. And with the object or photo in front of us, we can reasonably well draw what we see. But we may not be able to just pull that up in our heads and do the same thing. It's a really fascinating thing about the way our brains work, the way some of our brains work. Other people can instantly draw anything they've ever seen. That may be a slight hyperbole, but sometimes it feels that way. They have recall of shapes, angles, relative sizes, perspective, details that make up an object, as if they can see it holographically right there in front of them. And that is so what I want to be able to do. And I think some people can. I think some people just intuitively see it in their mind and can redraw it. Hearing Grandin talk made me really think about the ways in which the degree to which we are or are not visual thinkers probably has tremendous impact on the way we process information on the page, the way we create. And for those of us who draw, the way we draw, how we draw. As someone who doesn't have the ability to see the image in my head, or at least not in the way that I think she means, this has been really interesting for me. At the same time, of course, like I said a few minutes ago, I am 
obsessed with graphic novel format and style, which you might think of as a sketchnote style, or you might think of it as a cartoon or comic style. It's got panels, it's got words, it's very simplified, but I think of it as a graphic novel style I always have. That is something that I hold so closely in my own goals and projects. And beyond that, I'm always dabbling in mediums that would really benefit from better visual thinking, like sketchnoting. And it's almost ironic that some of my most treasured and favorite areas of creative interest are really dependent upon a visual vocabulary that I somehow don't have. Can I get it? Can I practice it? Can I get better at it? Can I build that visual vocabulary and library? Maybe. I think the answer to that is yes, you can. But listening to Grandin, I was really struck by the fact that the balance of pictures to words in our thought processes is something that differs from person to person. And just like she had never realized she thought about things differently, I never realized the degree to which some people probably really are much more visually oriented in their thinking. I never really thought about that. Unlike Grandin, I don't think I think in pictures. I don't have this rich visual bank of memories. At the same time, I often think that I remember best anything for which I have seen a photo. So if there is something I remember in my past, and that's not a huge number of things, if I remember something, in many cases, it is because there is a photo that I've seen. I often stop and puzzle over that. But visual memory of moments themselves, the ability to just call up in my mind certain objects with clarity, not just this fuzzy, hazy, gossamer sense of having been somewhere and everything's fuzzy and you don't see any faces or details. You just have this sense. Yeah, that I might be able to do. But anything with clarity, I don't do that. And maybe you do. Obviously, Temple does. Clearly, we are not all starting out from the same place when we decide to draw something. And so how we approach it and how we use line is really fascinating to think about. At the same time, in listening to Grandin talk, I felt like, I think, very much like she does. Very much. And not because of the pictures. Her thought processes seemed to me to be so similar to how I think about things. I can see it in how I tell stories, how I weave these shows, how sometimes I stand in the hallway to talk to someone and I start talking about something and immediately, oh, wait, I got to say something else. And oh, I need to wind back. And there's all these things that layer upon layer. I think in words, or do I? I really have questioned the degree to which I'm saying all these things over the last week or so as I've thought about this. But I do think associatively, and I think that was a part of what she was expressing that I really latched onto. There, for me, is a constant leapfrogging of information. And I don't think this is giving you too much information. I think a lot of you do this and some of you don't. I don't think this is super, super personal. I think thinking and talking about how we think 
feels vulnerable and like we're revealing some secret, but really it's not. Like I said, I believe anyone who has listened to me for the last two years, maybe, probably has this sense of the fact that I never tell a story A to Z, that I birdwalk a lot, that I hopscotch a lot, that listening to me may really be like a game of leapfrog in ways that I don't always realize I do, and yet I really do realize I do. So if you give me a word like teapot, I might tell you that I don't use one, that I drink coffee mostly, that I've never had a tea cozy, and yet simultaneously layered with those concrete thoughts and those simple and straightforward answers to the question, I immediately think of a yellow teapot on the windowsill in the kitchen that I keep thinking I will put in a donation box. And then I think of the pink leaves that day, years ago, after tea. A scatter of silken leaves that covered the sidewalk, the quest to find out what they were. And there was a show about that. And then there was tea on this day and that, and wedding cake metaphor, of course, and the choosing of finger sandwiches this time and that, and the day I went for tea alone, which was a treat and a gift, a window seat, a sketch, so much to think about, I can almost picture myself sitting there in that spot in front of the window at that table, almost this hazy sense of that. I can think of other days of tea with kids and with my mom, with a friend. I leapfrog from one memory to the next flash of neurons firing connected and disconnected at the same time. And in a nanosecond, I am back, that yellow teapot in the window in the kitchen. And I close my eyes and try and figure out if I can see it, picture it. But when I close my eyes, I see black and white. My brain knows that teapot is yellow with white and orange flowers. No, yellow with white polka dots. It's one or the other. I know there is a teapot and it is yellow. And I have probably seen it in my field of vision every day for the last several years. But are there flowers or are there dots? Is there orange or just yellow and white? For some people, having seen it sitting where it is and having seen it again and again, day to day, at least peripherally, it would be very clear very clear. They would know what they saw and what colors and what pattern and details about the shape and the size. They might be able to draw it. I keep closing my eyes, trying to sort out if I can really see that image. And why do my eyes need to be closed to do this? I do not know. Of course they don't, but somehow it changes this whole self-testing, this whole process. You close your eyes. Why? I don't know. These questions keep coming to mind. The little explorations we take when we try and understand the ways in which we think, visualize, remember, engage. Eyes closed? I can type these notes. I can't visualize the keyboard, though. I can't tell you which letters are where. I can't close my eyes and picture a keyboard with the letters in the right place and spit that back out to you but I can type eyes open or eyes closed anything you say to me without looking. But I can't tell you where those keys are. And I know among typists that is not an unusual thing, but it's a good example. 
It's a good example. Eyes closed. I hear words in my head. I think about that now and again. The echo of every word I type. The echo of every word I hear. The echo of every word I hear on a program or a podcast or a show. I hear the words, the echo. But still, with my eyes closed and the idea of teapot in mind, I take my finger in the air and I try and draw the shape of that teapot. I stop and I really think about this and I try and draw that in the air. And I'm sure I can generalize a shape, taking everything I know about teapots and the general information I have in my head about that one, short, a bit rounded, Mary Inglebright and feeling, a sunny yellow, definitely some white, a short and rounded spout. I could draw a teapot icon. I'm sure I could. And that's reassuring, actually. Have I closed my eyes and tried to do that multiple times now in preparing for today? Yep, I have. Because I have really spent time thinking about this. But in thinking first about that teapot, and then all those other moments, my mental birdwalking was associative. A string of word-based associations that all rise up at the mention of the singular thing. And Grandin described something very similar. For her, it definitely is with images, clear images, not word-based images. And as I talked with someone else about Grandin, after I was watching all these things, And I talked about my interest in that description of her as a visual thinker and about my own associative leapfrogging, the fact that I don't always go linearly through a story because I think about a half a dozen things almost simultaneously, and each of those has tangents that radiate out, and I follow this one or that one, put some off, come back to others, and continue to wind back around to the beginning, making connections along the way seeing how things parallel or have symmetry or overlay or overlap or create a pastiche, a whole that is an assemblage of seemingly unrelated parts. The person I was talking to looked at me and said, I don't do that. Really? Everyone doesn't have this barrage of possible tangents all coming in at one time? Really? Really? Some people are A to Z, and have a straight line of thought? I guess you could call that clarity, although I think the associative path often leads to extraordinary clarity. Researching Grandin definitely gave me a lot to think about over the last few weeks, and I thought a lot about the ways in which I am less and less likely to tell an ABC story these days. I'm not sure that I ever do or ever have, but more and more, I'm really aware of the fact that I don't. It seems like the thread that makes up my storyline is, in fact, a tapestry of woven and scattered threads. I have a yellow teapot is a complete sentence, but it is a beginning to a story, not a story in and of itself. I'm much more likely to put three things in the air and see how they might mingle or combine to create an image see how they might shimmer. In these days, like I said, I have often closed my eyes and tried again to visualize that teapot. One day I walked in and looked at it, surprised to find it sitting at a different angle than it is in my head. 
turned toward the outside rather than in, which was how I was picturing it. At some point, it has to have been that way and has been turned. I answered the question about the flowers versus the dots and about the presence of the orange. I looked at the dust on it because, like I said, this is something that is not used. I close my eyes and try and clearly bring it into view on the black background that I see when I close my eyes. When you close your eyes, what do you see? Yellowbrook Road. The associative Yellowbrook Road. Mapping and looping and leapfrogging, hopscotching, hurtling, connecting and reaching and layering. It is all there. And I maybe have taken for granted that everyone thinks that way. And so the point is not that it's better or worse to think that way, and the point is certainly not that it's better or worse to be able to clearly picture the teapot in your head. The point, which is maybe very subtle, is that we are all different. We are all different. I don't believe in creating a hierarchy of this kind of difference. I believe there's so much to learn and to understand and to appreciate about the various ways in which we do things. I believe in continuums, or at times even in Venn diagrams and ways in which there are overlaps. But it is interesting to stop and put it to the test. What do you see when you close your eyes? And given the word teapot, regardless of whether or not you are a tea drinker, what do you see? What do you think? Can you draw it clearly? Do you clearly see in your mind the shape? the texture, the details, can you feel it? What specific teapot comes to mind? And now it is time for a second cup of coffee. I am the art. The art is me. So that's it for episode 358. I know it is an unusual show, although I still think it is very much within the landscape of the CMP. I think all of these things, how we think how attached we are to visual images in our heads versus words. All of that plays into how we approach our art, the kind of abandon we are willing to let ourselves demonstrate with our art, where we gravitate. I just find it all interesting, and I hope you do too, and I hope you think about it. I hope you close your eyes. I hope you do the teapot exercise for whatever it is worth. And... We will just let teapot be the word for today because it makes total sense. Although, if Yellow Brick Road inspires something very different for you, go for it. Because I understand that too. And I didn't even really pave it all out and make it all loop back to Yellow Brick Road for you. But I think you can see that road and the mapping and the associative thought and the visual of it as well. Plus, there's that man behind the curtain, right? Right. So that is it for today. And this show has been a little bit delayed with things going on and with the relocation of the site. But I am here. I am here and I am ready to be back on track. As always, I'm Amy and you can reach me at creativitymatterspodcast at gmail.com. You can find the show notes on the website at creativitymatterspodcast.com. The music I play is courtesy of Nikolai Heidless. You can find me at Instagram as oamyoamy. And a special thank you to those of you who support the show at Patreon, patreon.com slash creativitymatters.
Until next time, get your ducks in order thinking about your summer art and or your iCAD. And remember that creativity matters in whatever form it takes for you. And don't forget to breathe. It's very important. Don't forget to breathe. Have a good week, everyone. 